0: I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, and this is a space for young people, families and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness in the simplest of terms. Join me for 30 minutes of expert advice, simple science and practical knowledge. Please be aware that some episodes may feature triggering topics about trauma, suicide and self-harm. If you feel triggered by some of this content, please seek help and support immediately. The show notes contain a list of helpful support organisations in the UK. Hi, we are talking about borderline personality disorders. And with me, I've got my guest, Dr. Hossam Alhamawi, who is a consultant adult psychiatrist. Hi, Hosam.
1: Hi, Tari. Nice, nice to be with you today.
0: Thank you. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: So I'm El Ilhamwi. I'm a specialist in medical psychotherapy and general adult psychiatry. I work with people with personality difficulties.
0: So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about borderline personality disorders, and we've got a bit of an agenda. We're going to talk briefly about what personality disorders are. And then we're going to talk about what is borderline personality disorder. And then we're going to think about pros and cons of the label itself. Sure. Let's start from what are personality disorders and how do we diagnose them?
1: So before we start talking about the um, disordered personality, it might be good to touch on the concept of personality. So, uh, and it's a bit big question. I don't think there is a, a clear answer or in fact, there isn't one answer. But one of the ways to think about it is, uh, and when we think about the concept of personality, we, we think about how people think, how they, what they feel and, and how they behave, what they act, what their values in their life, how they relate to others and their capacity to know who they are to a relatively stable degree, enough that they can invest in work, in relationships, in hobbies, and have relatively stable relationships uh, with other people. So so you can see there's something internal about your internal experience, how you feel, you think. There's something external, what people see, the behaviour. Going back, there's something internal, your sense of who you are, the identity. And there is what you see on the outside as a result of having this internal experience, so uh, depending on how stable this internal experience, then you either see stable relationships or unstable, you see a stable capacity to invest on the long run in your career or education or relationships, hobbies and interests or not.
0: If you're listening to this and you're having conversations about personality disorders for your uh, child or for yourself and you're someone who's a young adult, kind of young person, somewhere between 13 and 20, it's going to differ massively who you see, what, who's the clinician you're seeing, because there's a difference in opinion between clinicians on whether or not we can diagnose a disorder at that age technically we can so all of the big books say that we can but there's a difference on opinion and particularly because people argue on whether or not personality um, is developed enough at a young age that we can sense a, a disorder or something that's unusual about the personality so early in life so the other thing that's really important to think about, I think, for people is that we don't really have a template of what a normal personality looks like, do we?
1: Uh, we do and we don't. Not, not, Of course, we don't have a template, but we have an idea. We have a usually cultural and societal idea. and uh, But most importantly, we have a personal idea. So a person with, uh, who has a personality disorder, they will come to you and say, look, I've got a problem. This is where deviation from what we were the so-called normality. But what's important here that personality disorder is an extension of what a normal personality is, and you can see that individuals who have a personality difficulty or a disorder, depending on how severe it is, they can function normally in normal circumstances. Sometimes when they're not challenged severely by life or by relationships but life is never stable that's the problem if life was to be completely stable then you might you might see far less of the dysfunction we think about uh, concepts such as whether the difficulty in the personality uh, is um, is pervasive which means it's uh, it, it It is manifest on a wide range of difficulties, social and personal, so pervasiveness. And we also think about whether it's enduring, i.e. long-standing condition, difficulty that exists. starts very early in life. You're bound to see things around the teenage uh, or indeed uh, in in childhood. But it's a bit controversial here. How early could you see this?
0: So you're going to see a degree of difficulty in early life, won't you? And and leading to the point of... So what normally happens is that people seek help in crisis. I mean, when they've had a difficulty happen and that difficulty was strong enough that they go and seek help and ask someone to help them make sense of what's going on and give it a name. So, but before that point in time where they come to us, there's a life lived and there are experiences had. And there are things that you'd maybe talk to. Oh, that's just me. That's how I am, or that's how life has been. But really, if you go back with the person who's helping you, you go back with your therapist or go back with your doctor and think about, okay, so has there been difficulties across time? You might find some, you might not, but you might find some flags that lead up to. You know, some signs that lead up to this difficulty that ended up in crisis. So I, I guess it, what I'm trying to say is yes, there's always difficulty in childhood, but it's important to do two things. It's important to understand that childhood and, 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 and adolescence are periods of really a lot of instability and difficulty. It's really important not to try and, and, and medicalize that. And that's what your doctor would be doing is thinking with you about what would be understandable given the context of how you grew up what was going on in your life what was going on up to the point that you come in today for an assessment to try and make sense of the context and what was happening so when you say an extension of normality a personality disorder is an extension of normality what do you mean
1: what i mean is a lot of the experiences that you see in personality disorder uh, could also be seen in normal person, in a normal personality, maybe that's a better word to say, uh, not a normal person. But uh, uh, for example, I mean, we've not yet talked about the symptoms, the so-called symptoms or the experiences, but there isn't a normal person who doesn't fear abandonment. So fear of abandonment or fear of being left or uh, rejected or dejected or excluded uh, is intense in a person who's got personality disorder intense that it that life becomes unbearable relationships become very difficult to be stable if you're with someone that you're constantly thinking they're going to leave you no matter what you do they'll still leave now that will dictate how you're going to relate to them wouldn't it
0: so if i go online and read up on whatever personality narcissistic personality disorder or borderline or whatever I'm going to probably find that I have some of these
1: Absolutely, it would be. In fact, it'll be. You know, I do see patients sometimes who uh, present saying, "Oh, look, I've got a personality disorder," and then they give me an example where they have the so-called fear of abandonment. Uh, but when when we explore the situation in a bit more depth, what we found out that this this is a complete natural uh, response to a relationship that is uh, unstable or provoked. This, i.e. Fear of abandonment—it is normal. So, so, but the degree of this, the threshold, the impact. So, so earlier on, we were talking about what makes a personality disordered. So, we mentioned pervasiveness, i.e., uh, on which means it exists on more than uh, on a wide range of uh, difficulties and situations. But there is also uh, the impact on the function. Uh, so, all these difficulties that are. Uh, on the spectrum of normality, they only become a disorder when they have an impact on the person's capacity to invest in life, know, know who they are, feel okay within themselves, uh, have normal range of feelings, experiences, and relationships. When it has an impact on this, on the function, then the disorder becomes a disorder.
0: It's also important to understand that diagnoses are a box; they're just a standard lingo that professionals use to try and and summarize your truth your story what is going on in your life but because it's a standard box and people are not standard they're not who you are they are they're just saying that you fulfill these criteria a clinician had assessed it and they think that this is you know you've got this situation you've got this um set of symptoms and you fill the criteria for this diagnosis, but then there is a formulation that explains how you got there.
1: So, moving to think about uh, the uh, diagnosis of a personality disorder and what it is like and what it means for a person to have it. If people go and look it up online, what they will find are a collection of symptoms, diagnostic criteria. The challenge in these, uh, uh, it makes it look or, like diabetes or like high blood pressure with with certain symptoms, and that doesn't really explain it. It makes it. Yeah, if you check it
0: online, it's almost as if it's just clear as day. You necessarily straight away know if you have a fear of abandonment, or necessarily know straight away if you had this kind of difficulty. But it isn't that clear cut, is it?
1: Exactly, and and what what, what remains uh, absent is. What's underpinning all these difficulties? Where does it come from? Why does it manifest in this way? So it makes it rather meaningless, but they're important because this is what uh, often diagnosticians, clinicians would would rely on. They would count the symptoms. And uh, uh, so historically now some diagnostic manuals have changed, but there used to be nine symptoms. I'm 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 rather reluctant to see a personality disorder as purely just collection of symptoms. It's a lot more elaborate than this. Uh, the first one is the so-called uh, fear of abandonment, which means that the person lives their life in in a state of fear that others will leave them, and and they will um, they will behave as if they would. So if you were worried that your partner or your parent or your friend is going to leave you you will do things to stop that happening or in, indeed to hasten it to make it quicker and, and you so you don't have to live in a state of fear and anxiety that you suddenly would be left so uh, earlier on we we we've mentioned that this is normal in childhood and semi normal in a teenage but it doesn't it stops being normal at certain uh, if it is so pervasive or so Uh, significant or serious it stops being normal in in adulthood and of course you can see uh, the, the impact on these on the relationships so often people with personality disorder have intense relationships particularly people with borderline personality so so borderline personality disorder is one of many but every personality disorder typically is manifest in relationships so in the in the borderline state the tendency is to have intense form of relationships. This is the so-called the, the love and hate, a very deep love and very deep hate. It doesn't quite explain it, but it means that the p- people tend to be very close to the other person. It's as if they found the partner for life. And this is how it feels in the first few days or weeks before it fills the person with a state of anxiety that he's going to leave me or she's going to leave me. And, and, and what you see is a different pattern. And suddenly the relationship becomes unbearable. So, what you see, sometimes they call it claustrophobic and agrophobic, i.e., claustrophobic. You get too close and it's unbearable. It's as if you're stuck in a, in a box or something. Uh, and, and then you, you move away from the person and it's agrophobic. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a Latin name for the fear of space. It, it, which means it's very, very lonely to be alone. And then you seek relationships. The outcome is that the person is in and out all the time, enough that it becomes very painful. If uh, you often catch people 10 years down the line and then might be completely avoidant of relationships.
0: Because they're so tem- the relationships tend to become very tempestuous and kind of very hot and cold and strong and impact people in a very strong way. And I think that's a very good example of how objective and subjective what we mean by that. So there's an internal experience of how you relate to people. Significant others is a good space to kind of assess this because having a relationship with a significant other is very different to having a relationship with a friend. However, we see the same patterns. In friendships as well. So, kind of getting really close to people, getting deeply hurt, um, and then just breaking down the relationship completely, or starting a relationship where you're really unhappy, hot and cold, and feeling um, afraid all the time and anxious all the time, or people making a decision to completely isolate and not engage in any kind of friendships or relationships out of that fear rather than a lack of interest, if that makes sense. And that's a very good example of subjective and, and versus objective, kind of, how we assess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, uh, I think he sums up there in, in, in sort of the, the very fluctuating and unstable uh, pattern of relationships with others. The third criteria or symptom is uh, the, the, what they call identity disorder or identity disturbance. What I often hear from from uh, my clients that they use, and there's something about the chameleon that makes it uh, uh, kind of like a typical example that people use. They say, "I feel like a chameleon; like I never know who I am. I change according to the environment. So if I'm I'm going out with someone, or if I have a close friend who I don't know likes tattoos, for example, I ask the next thing I want to have a one. Not not. Not in any not just to please the other person, but because I feel suddenly I like tattoos or, you know, or whatever value or ethic that the other person might have, I suddenly adopt it. and this comes from the place of not knowing who you really are and what's really important for you. Now you can imagine once you figure that you've done that for the other person, your concept of you of yourself becomes even more disturbed realizing that actually I didn't want to have a tattoo. It was just the fact that my partner did or or my friend was really into tattoos
0: especially if the relationship then fluctuates or ends suddenly. And it feels as though that sense of identity and value and what I like and what I like to do also is very tempestuous and goes hot and cold. And I see this a lot. This is where we were talking, you know, it's very difficult to judge for young people because that's part of being young and identifying with, with your friends and what they call, you know, peer pressure. And my friends do this thing, so I want to do this thing to fit in. But it's a whole different thing if you're do, if you're still struggling to find what you like. Um, you know, when you're 25 or when you're 35 or you're 45, it's very different, isn't it? And very age related as well.
1: It, it is particularly when it comes to a, a, a kind of hot topic such as uh, uh, gender identity and sexual orientation which uh, which do become clearer during this time with a person who's got a personality difficulty or a disorder you, you find them that become more confused you know with a teenager who immigrated around that time you're thinking about cultural identity and who the you know the, the sense of belonging so so it's, this is a very internal concept as in who do you belong to what do you believe in what kind of male or female or uh, or in between you are so so uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a massive topic it's it's a large one uh, other features include um, sort of being impulsive um, in simple terms acting before thinking or contemplating so you often see this as a sort of possibly driving at a high speed or doing things such as gambling, the things that we call compulsive or impulsive actions, in fact, they're drawn to this.
0: Things that you, if, you, if you'd have had a couple of moments to think about it, you wouldn't have necessarily done it.
1: Yes, absolutely. They have significant consequences, usually. You see other features such as self-harm, that, that is a big and, and highly diagnostic, in fact. Although it happens in lots of young people, I think in some statistics, statistics around 20% in the, in the Western world. So self-harming doesn't necessarily mean it's definitely personality disorder. But what you see are uh, sort of usually, uh, again, enduring pattern of self-harm, a bit more severe. It's used frequently. It, it can often be the only way that a young person or a adult in, in with personality disorder can keep with the feelings or cope with the feelings and and keep on top of their sort of stability.
0: And in our episode about self-harm, we're going to discuss this a bit more, but self-harm can mean lots of things. But what we mean in personalities or in in borderline when we say self-harm is a pattern of Hurting oneself it doesn't necessarily have to be physical harm to the body. Sometimes self harming behaviors can be things like putting yourself in relationships that are quite harmful or engaging in habits that, on the long run, are quite uh, detrimental to your health or well being. Sometimes people self harm by um, having unprotected sexual relationships or having uh, putting themselves in harm's way in a certain way, eating in a certain way, or uh, engaging in exercise excessively. So there are d- different meanings for the word self-harm here.
1: If, if, if I guess this is where it becomes, uh, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that the diagnosis is a collaborative process. And when the person says, uh, I don't know, I exposed myself to harm by doing this and that, I, w- I would ask, uh, what do you mean? Was it just an impulsive action that you thought you'd get pleasure from or... And then it ended up being uh, destructive, or were you actually seeking a relief from your pain by pursuing this certain behavior, where it becomes indeed self-harm? I, I guess I'm making distinction between unwise decisions or impulsive decisions that result in harm, or was that self-harm uh, in fact intended uh, so so um, because there's two separate criteria. one of the most important uh, features that often people come with they, and, and they say, I've got a bipolar, which is a word that actually describes the internal experience of going up in feelings and going down very quickly, sometimes within minutes or hours, feeling high, elated, confident, uh, or in fact agitated and anxious, but high or indeed, feeling very depressed and, and, and desperate and sad and uh, 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 angry. So, so this fluctuation is normal in in, in normal personalities. Uh, we all fluctuate to a different degree, uh, some more than others. Uh, but with people with personality disorder, this happens intensely. I e, the, the peak is is in uh, extreme, and the frequency is uh, is also high it happens quickly intensely uh, and frequently
0: very intense mood swings and I think that what you said about people thinking about bipolar disorder that's really interesting because a lot of people again go online and think about what where they fit and they see the word mood swings And they think it might describe them. In in fact, mood swings is one of the most annoying symptoms in borderline personality disorder. People really struggle with it, don't they? And
1: what it does is, uh, because the other person would tell you, I never know when you're happy or or when you're sad. But the reality is that the person with a personality disorder do not know when they're happy and when they're not. They keep changing so much that the the sense of identity becomes even more disturbed. So... uh, Often the word bipolar, although bipolar is a very separate illness and very different, it does describe the state of feelings yeah. bipolar, i.e., two poles, up and down, two, and they're very different and they're very separate. So, uh, and that probably is worth a, a complete uh, separate episode to think about the difference. But I would say just one thing here is that with a bipolar illness, you'd expect a long. Uh, period of of a baseline of normality. The person usually knows who they are. The episodes are clear variations of what they're normally like as people or as as persons.
0: Yeah. So there's a period of being okay. Uh, w- when I work with people in clinic, I often put you know put this in a diagram, a little diagram that we draw, and then we think about okay, this is me, and. When did my problems start? And I think to determine who uh, I am, um, I try to think with them about a point in life where you felt okay, okay with who you are, okay with what life is, okay with feeling, you know, like you understand the world and you understand yourself to a degree and you're fine, you can cope. And if you've got a point in your life where you can say, Well, you know, I was all right at that point. I remember being all right, then that's what we gauge things on. What happens with borderline personalities disorders and personalities disorders generally is that there isn't that. There isn't that. There's just a lot of pain and up and down and and difficulty right from the very beginning. And it doesn't seem to relent or end. So it's such a difficult journey. By the time we see People who are struggling with this—it's just so exhausting.
1: Mm. It it is. It is exhausting for for uh, for the patient and for for the carers or for the parents or partner. So, and it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand why why these changes suddenly happen. And it is a question, you know, because sometimes they happen as uh, as a result of something innocuous, such as waking up with a headache, right? now what what remains absent is so what does it mean when you wake up with a headache often for the person with personality disorder if they think about it they will find out that this experience of pain or fear uh, is is very deep it changes suddenly who, who they feel they are or it, you know it can be a small argument with a partner and suddenly they're so frightened they will leave them or or their doubt that they're suddenly they're not worth it or they're not worth the relationship and the next thing is a massive fluctuation in the feelings
0: so we've gone through a little bit uh, through the symptoms a little bit but there's something about the core of borderline before we end i want to ask you about that the core of borderline personality disorder from the view of a medical psychotherapist what is it uh,
1: well the, it's it, it is hard to define as as there's uh, multiple um multiple ways to look at it and and very different theories but they all come from i think the place you've mentioned uh, earlier on is the trauma and it's not a trauma is as in a child had an accident uh, a car accident or the 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 trauma is typically an attachment trauma and when we talk about attachment is that bond that the child has with a uh, a caregiver whether it be in a father or a mother or whoever was the main carer for for the child and the trauma is is very multiple you know, is, is various. It can be uh, an active physical trauma or a sexual trauma quite often, or indeed a trauma of absence. Uh, it can be as severe as being very deprived, but it can also be uh, a trauma of not being understood uh, as a child or being regulated for whatever reason. There's so many circumstances. Sometimes the Parents themselves are traumatised and trying to cope with their own internal experience. So, uh, uh, as a result, as, a, as, a, as a, we've been talking earlier about concepts such as uh, emotional regulations and and uh, and the identity experience, they come from a secure attachment to this attachment figure. This is what helps a child develop a sense of who they are as people, uh, of being validated. Enough that they don't end up with an experience of uh, complete lack of self-esteem or self-worth. I think what you've been describing, what you've been touching on earlier on is something related to self-esteem. The capacity to regulate your esteem. It all comes from the secure attachment. Feeling safe enough or feeling loved consistently enough.
0: So regulate your self-esteem means have a consistent view of yourself that is not too harsh yeah. and too negative. And I think what we're trying to say is at the core of borderline personality disorder is trauma and a trauma that is to do with attachment with a supportive figure, with a caring figure, having that stability. As a child, and sometimes we see difficulties that have developed in a very early age. Sometimes two, three-year-olds who have gone through really difficult traumas, but then things kind of improved with time in an adoptive family or in a change of circumstance. This trauma remains, and the impact remains. So we're very near the end. Before we go, let's tell people about the down low of pros and cons. What are the pros and cons of getting this label? So. If you're if you're seeing your your professional, you're talking about a personality disorder diagnosis. Like we said, it should be a collaborative process. You shouldn't have a diagnosis unilaterally. So, what I usually do in my practice, and you probably do the same, is I have a chat with people, tell them what I'm thinking, why I'm thinking this is a borderline personality disorder, and I get them and I give them the pros and cons, and get them to go away and think about it, and then we make a decision together whether we want it in black and white or not. And the reason why I do this with kids, with young people specifically, is that it's a diagnosis that they carry with them for life. It tends to impact how they view themselves and how they view their experiences, but also because it's quite practically, it affects how they access services. So here in the UK, there are some services that are dedicated to um, borderline personality disorder, but also there are services that exclude borderline personality disorder. So it's important for them to understand that this diagnosis might help you access certain services, certain therapies on the NHS, which is our free service, our free health service. And there are services that will exclude you um, actively because you've got the disorder. The other thing that it, it impacts is the view of um, professionals. So when you're presenting in a crisis, it does tend to color a little bit how people make a formulation or make sense of a suicidal attempt or a self-harm attempt or an illness or or psychotic experience so it does impact um how people make sense of your presentation in a moment and that's the reality of things it shouldn't happen but it does happen but on the other side if this is what communicates your truth in your story then it is what it is and it also serves the purpose of telling us what might work. So there's particular therapies that we're going to talk about in a different episode that work specifically for borderline personality disorder. And we know kind of help. So it points you in the right direction. What else do we tell people about pros and cons of getting the label, Jose?
1: I mean, the, the, the main reason... That I would want to diagnose someone is to try and understand them, help their uh, help them understand their themselves and their experience, not in a way uh, that uh, that it becomes out of their control. So I think I'm talking about pros and cons here. So so some some of the disadvantages is that people might lose their sense of. Or they are even beyond their own disorder. So we've talked later about it. Really, shouldn't be that uh, uh, th- that you have no uniqueness. And, and often people, for whatever reason, sometimes it's the way we explain it to them, or the services deal with them, or sometimes it's their own way of dealing with the diagnosis. Is they just suddenly start defining themselves as um, the disordered personality and and this is quite problematic because what 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 they lose by that is their uh, any sense of control it's as if there, there's this external factor or external diagnosis once you've given it a label that makes it impossible to do uh, you know something that is uh, valuable or and that impacts on their recovery so therapy is very useful and is available but also what the person does in their life is at least as important if not more i e the choices uh, uh, you know talking about the pros the pros if you know that you, you're attracted to relationships that can be intense or abusive if you know this at least you you might notice your pattern you might stop at the right time despite how attractive it is or get help to stop the relationship or or take a step back you might realize that uh, that you're drawn for impulsive things and put things in place, you might realise that um, your tendencies are to pull out if you feel uncertain about yourself. For example, you start an education and you suddenly get bored or you're not, you failed an exam and suddenly you're feeling terrible about yourself and you pull out. This pulling out of everything is what makes things a lot worse. The, the attempt to invest in something and stick to it makes a massive difference
0: it's like someone telling you you know what this is this is your manual this is how we expect you to yeah. to work let's let's find ways to deal with it
1: and, and what happens is if some some people um uh, must end up when they end up with a label they feel that they cannot do anything it's, it's not worth it i can't do it because my personality wouldn't allow me and this is Really serious, you know, this, these are situations where the diagnosis can be harmful, uh, for, you know, it can be as a result of what their patient did with it, uh, what the environment did with it.
0: How stigmatized it was, so either stigma for the person, the person stigmatizing themselves with it, or their environment stigmatizing it with it.
1: It becomes incapacitating. Like no, the the person and people around them and the service, the mental health service. Nobody has a capacity to deal with this thing because it's out of control. And and I think this is this is a, a negative way of thinking and dealing with it.
0: And it is what you make of it. Um, it can be empowering or infantilizing. It 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 is what you make of it. But I think today. With such an interesting discussion and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed it today we talked about what personality disorders are we talked about what is borderline personality disorder and we talked a little bit about the pros and cons of having the label of borderline personality disorder we touched a little bit on the child and adolescent um, view of personality disorder and borderline personality disorder, and we're gonna in the next episode talk about treatment as well. Thank you so much, Hasan, for today.
1: pleasure thank you for having me, and I enjoyed talking to you and hearing your thoughts about it. And I thank hope you. the audience will find something useful in it.
0: I hope so. And you're joining us for the treatment of personality disorder, um, borderline personality disorder episode as well, aren't you? Hopefully so. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid wishing you well.